Hello and welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Ian Harditz. Team Preview Series continues on today with a look at the New Orleans Saints. Joining me, as always, the one, the only, Dwayne The Rock McFarland. Dwayne, what's up, man? Man, I'm way more excited to talk Saints this season than I, you know, I didn't get to do this with you last year, but had I, we, we would have still brought the same energy, but like, I'm not, I don't have to fake anything here. Like I'm super <laughs> excited to talk about the saints, like just a lot of changes on this offense. We got, you know, uh, Sean Payton gone. So yeah, man, I'm just, I'm excited to talk ball with you. It was Jameis versus Taysom last year. And as we'll get to, we can, Taysom's not out of the picture. He is still very much going to be involved in the Saints offense. But Jameis is now the QB of the present and the future, at least for two years. Uh, we'll see after that. Who the hell knows what's going to happen after a long 24 months in just about any industry, Dwayne. But we'll get to all that in just a second. Again, thank you all for tuning in. And fancy, dancy, new logo upgrade. Obviously, Dwayne and I have been doing these podcasts together for the better part of the past, I don't know, man, year and a half or something. And I'd say We've been on 95% of them together, and lo and behold, we are now the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast with Ian Harditz and Dwayne McFarlane, as it's been the whole damn time. Um, Yeah, I don't know why it took so long, but let's freaking go, Dwayne. Officially, you and me against the world, man. Let's keep on taking this uh, over together, and there's not a single person on this planet I'd rather consistently talk ball with than yourself. So all the mushy... Tears aside, let's talk some New Orleans Saints, man. As we've been doing with these team previews, want to go through, look at the coaching changes, then look through some of the player movement and free agency in the draft before getting the quarterback, running back, wide receiver, and tight end. So, yes, it is the end of an era in New Orleans. Sean Payton stepped down. You know, he's going to take some time off and then inevitably be the Cowboys head coach in 2023. But he did lead to the Saints in a relatively, you know, good place. Similar moves as, I think, Bruce Arians when he left the Buccaneers, just that being elevating his existing coaching staff as opposed to, you know, forcing the organization to start over from scratch. So defensive coordinator Dennis Allen promoted the head coach and longtime offensive coordinator Pete Carmichael retained his position as the OC. So no, Sean Payton not going to be involved in play calling anymore, obviously, but I think we can pretty safely look back at their last five years and use that to intelligently make a prediction about what's going to happen in 2022. And Dwayne, the first thing that popped out to me, because the big, I guess, course of the of course, the discussion around Jameis in this offense in 2021 was the fact that in weeks one through eight, before Jameis got hurt, they were dead last in pass play rate in non-garbage time situations. Now, I was thinking that was out of the norm, but after actually I went back and looked at the last five years, as a whole in 2021, they were 29th, but 2020, they were 27th, 2019 tied for 14th, 2018, they were 29th, and 2017, they were 26th in this pass play rate. It really wasn't just last year, man. Even towards the end of the Drew Brees era, we actually saw the Saints team because I think in large part their defense was much better than they have been in a while but also just maybe having Kamara maybe having Mark Ingram they were more willing to run the ball so yes 2021 it was a run heavy offense but really man they've been trending that way for a while yeah they've really been what you know I know we always use the Madden playbook analogy like they would be balanced or run balanced Mm -hmm. like and they've pretty much there's only been one season you know, in the last five that didn't necessarily fit that. So in 2019, 61% pass, 39% run. But otherwise, you know, you're looking at like basically a 55-45 type team when we're talking passing plays versus running plays. Passing plays obviously include, you know, your dropbacks and other things. Some of those turn into sacks, whatever. But the intent, right, was to throw the ball on those plays. So yeah, 
I was seeing the same thing, you know, that you were whenever I was really working on my projections for the Saints. You know, the other thing, just looking at them last year, uh, you know, across all situations, they were really um, more into running the ball, really, than, you know, the NFL average. So if you look at them, uh, the run rate on plays where they're trailing by four or more, 5% above the league average, 35% versus 30%, went running the ball whenever the game is close, which is within three points, uh, 43% versus the league average of 40%. And then really where they would really ramp it up, though, is running with a lead. The league averaged 49% of the time um, an NFL team runs the ball whenever they are leading by four or more points. The Saints did it 60%, so they were 11% higher. So not the same as some of the other teams that, uh, you know, folks have probably already heard us cover, like, um, you know, the Titans. Titans, like, 10% above the league average, right, on all those things. Where the Saints, you know, it's a little closer. That's why I really lean the column, not even run balance, more like just a balanced offense. And then I think once we really start talking about the moves they've made this offseason, um, to really revamp the receiving core. Like, I, I feel like, you know, there's there's more room than ever, right, for them to maybe move more past balanced, right, versus just balanced. The way the roster will now be constructed. And also when you look at the running back room. So I, I know we'll hit on those things. But I think I'm not overly concerned about them being too conservative. It's obviously in, in my head. But I don't think of it quite the way I do like a team uh, like Tennessee. Definitely possible to get back to, again, that 2019 level where they were tied for 14th in this non-garbage time pass play rate. They do have a long ways to go up, though. But to your point, they have the personnel to make us believe that could be a possibility. In terms of pace from 2017 to 2021, their uh, rank in situation-neutral pace, courtesy of Football Outsiders, 15th, 13th, 23rd, 28th, and 14th. So not quite like the Cowboys, who are also you know one of these bounds-to-run bounds teams, but we see them go with such a high pace that we actually have have more than enough pass game volume for everyone with New Orleans we're probably going to need to see a good amount of efficiency out of Jameis Winston and these wide receivers for more than one especially high-end relevant fantasy option to come to fruition because remember we got Kamara taking a lot of those targets Taysom Hill is going to do Taysom Hill things I would love a world where Michael Thomas and Chris Olave are going to be eating you know 25% plus target shares apiece just might be asking a lot based on what we saw from last year and the few other years of the Pete Carmichael experience so with that said, let's go ahead and go through some of the roster moves because they can tell us a lot about what this team's looking to do in 2022. First and foremost, Andy Dalton signing a one-year $6 million contract to serve as Jameis Winston's backup. Dwayne, we got this hand-in-hand with Dennis Allen saying back in March that Taysom Hill is going to focus primarily on tight end. Trevor Simeon, who was actually somewhat decent if you look at the advanced stats last year. He signed with the Bears in free agency. So now, it's Jameis Winston QB1, Andy Dalton QB2, Taysom Hill, maybe QB3, but mostly in the tight end room. I think it's safe to say that other than the occasional Wildcat snap, we're not going to see Taysom Hill start a game at quarterback this year. Yeah, I think it would take injury, right? Um, two, I mean, of them. We do, two of them. Yeah, yeah. yeah it, would, it would probably take two of them. I think it could turn into a battle between he and Dalton. Obviously, I think Dalton would be the first guy up. But, like, the one thing Taysom gives you is if, you, if, if your team's not playing that well, but maybe your defense is playing well and you want to come out and just be more of this, you know, exotic, smash-mouth, run-heavy type <laughs> team, Taysom gives you the ability to do that, right? And Andy Dalton doesn't. And just from watching Dalton the last two years, one of them being in Dallas – like this isn't the old Andy Dalton anymore. Like he's, you know, he already was kind of a fringe quarterback anyway, but he's taken a step back. I, I would agree. Like it, it probably takes two. It takes one injury for sure, 
And then it either takes a quick injury to Dalton or a couple of bad games from Dalton, probably, you know, before Taysom Hill would really be on the field. But we'll have to just kind of monitor that through training camp, see what happens. Um, but yeah, I would say as of today, um, June 6th, recording this, I don't think we should factor Taysom Hill very much at all into the Saints passing game. I love how you threw in the exotic smash mouth in there. Mike Malarkey, that fabled Tennessee Titans offense. <laughs> I mean, you know, I don't know if it was that exotic. They just kind of ran, you know, Derrick Henry into a bunch of eight-man boxes and it worked out because he's Derrick Henry. But, hey, worked out. I love the name. We'll roll with it. At running back, though, Ty Montgomery signed with the Patriots in free agency and will thankfully no longer be wearing number 88. Only had 34 rushes and 19 uh, catches in 20 games in New Orleans, so not a big issue there. But one more running back that we don't necessarily worry about. At wide receivers, where we had a few more things going. Jarvis Landry signed a one-year, $6 million deal with the Saints to presumably work as their starting slot receiver. Only 52 catches, 570 yards, pair of touchdowns last year, but was coming off that. He had the hip injury, I guess, in 2020. So he was a little healthier last year, but still got banged up throughout the season. Obviously, with Baker, you know, doing Baker things while he was playing banged up. Wasn't exactly going to be the year to see a lot of, you know, counting stats for Landry. Also had Kenny Stills remain a free agent. I mean, dude, when I was going through this, like the fact that Kenny Stills in the year 2021 had an actual role in this offense for a couple of weeks tells you all you need to know about Jameis's weapons. Like Stills had a great early career stretch and everything, but come on, man. He caught six of 23 targets last year just a rough experience also have Lord Jordan Humphrey as a restricted free agent so haven't talked about Alave being added yet Dwayne but obviously adding him as the first rounder maybe getting Michael Thomas back I mean Dennis Allen said it himself adding Alave and hopefully getting Michael Thomas back from that ankle injury. In the Saints' mind, they're getting two first-rounders, also Jarvis Landry. I don't think anyone's going to confuse this group of wide receivers with a top five, even a top ten unit, but at least we're not dealing with a bottom five unit anymore. Yeah, I think that's the big takeaway for me, um, you know, where they end up in a pecking order. Like, look, if Michael Thomas is healthy, we know he's a good player. He's shown us that. If Jarvis Landry is healthy, even though he's getting older, we know he's a good player. Do we think Jarvis Landry gives this offense a ton of upside? No, but to your point, like you just mentioned the other receivers that James Winston, you know, and the Saints were throwing to last year. I don't think there's any debate that Landry's an upgrade, right, over right. that. And then what gets me excited, though, is the Alave pick. Because now, potentially, if you just think about how, how all those guys could complement one another, Alave, we know, can attack every single area of the field. Obviously, I think he would do most of the vertical work in that trio. Um, you've got room for, you know, Jarvis and really, you know, Michael Thomas to work underneath because the tight end just really doesn't do a lot, you know, in this offense. Maybe Taysom Hill carves out, you know, some routes and becomes, you know, a guy that can do some things after the catch. But really, that it becomes all about, you know, Kamara for me. So, I mean, I think Alave is really key, though, um, to this offense kind of like unlocking a new level because otherwise everybody else is like all vying for targets in the same area. Yeah. You know, and Jameis is not hyper accurate like what we used to get from Drew Brees. Um, so it's not the kind of offense, you know, that, that you would want to run under Drew Brees, right, where it's just this methodical 15, 20 play drives, you know, just time after time, you know, chewing clock, but through the passing game, like you're not going to get that, you know, with Jameis. With Jameis, you know, the accuracy is not, accuracy is not as good in the short and intermediate, but like he can definitely uncork it deep. So it's like yeah. if you can get defenses to respect the deep ball, I think that will be huge for them. And I think Alave is a big part of that couple inconsequential tight end signings. Garrett, Grof, Garrett Griffin, block first tight end, signed with the Lions. J.P. Holtz uh, went ahead and signed with the Saints to replace him. So let's go ahead and take things right to the main event, Mr. Jameis Winston himself. Look, former number one overall pick, has a 5,000-yard season to his name. Like, we understand Jameis has some high upside, but let's see if he can finally put it all together for a full season. Was 
not quite getting all the way there last year, but it was pretty damn impressive, man, particularly under the context of the receivers he was working with. I know we can say that this was a you know 32nd ranked offense and pass play rate. Jameis wasn't being asked to do that much, which is fair, but doing what he was asked to do, he was awfully impressive while doing so. Not so much PFF passing grade. He was 24th among 45 quarterbacks with 100 plus dropbacks last year, but Dwayne, second highest big time throw rate in the league. I believe only Kyler Murray was higher and not terrible turnover worthy play rate. 17th out of 45. Wasn't that long ago where we would see Jameis, you know, having the largest discrepancy in the league in terms of a nice big time throw rate and one of the worst turnover worthy play rates. So for him to kind of rein in some of those boneheaded decisions and keep those big time throws that we all know he can make was great to see you know middling 19th in yards per attempt 32nd adjusted completion rate wasn't exactly perfect but again those big time throw rates and I think turning on the film and seeing some of those big shots he was able to hit down the field. Uh, you know, Deontay Harris in the Packers game, he actually did have a great throw to Stills in the Giants game that got called back. I mean, you can legit put together, and this I'm not trying to slander too. A sorry, sorry Dolphins fans if you're there, but like Jameis Winston had a better passing highlight film last year than Tua despite playing in half the amount he, of games. He actually, a lot of his big plays remind me of Stafford. Um, yep. You know, a lot of them are play action. You're waiting on a, a receiver on like a deep post or crosser, like just to suddenly get over both safeties. And Harris is a guy that we didn't even mention a second ago, but he can definitely do yeah. that. He's a burner. And Jameis, like if you give him those options, like he can play really well out of that. And to your point, like his turnover worthy play rate. And I think this is a credit to Sean Payton because we all saw Sean Payton and the looks <laughs> he was giving Jameis Winston when he would throw certain balls. But if you look at him, his averages over his career, um, this is all the way back to 2015. Five and a half percent, four point one percent, five point six percent, five percent, five point seven percent, seven point one percent. Obviously, on a very small sample, two games in twenty twenty. So, really, three point two percent though, the lowest of his career. And you know, his big time throw rate was the highest of his career at six point three percent, which you know goes hand in hand with how many touchdowns he threw. You know, last year's touchdowns per attempt, eight point seven percent. His previous previous high had been five point three percent. His interceptions per attempt a career low also, which goes hand in hand with turnover worthy plays only 1.9%. Previously, his career low had been 2.5%. So Jameis really improved in a lot of areas. And another thing that he has really struggled with that sets offenses back has been his sack rate. Wasn't great, still above the league average at 5.3%. But in the years leading up, you know, in his last few years at Tampa Bay had been over 6% every single season. And that's just, you're getting into territory you don't want to be in because those are almost as bad as turnovers, um, you know, taking those sacks. So Jameis did make a lot of strides forward. I think the points people make about being in a run-heavy offense, helping offset, you know, some of the issues for Jameis, um, I think there's probably some merit to that, right? I think there's probably some truth. But I think, you know, looking at the Saints, I think they can find some balance. You know, they don't want Jameis to start turning the ball over. They don't want all the sacks. But I think they could still find a way to, you know, set the scheme up to really, you know, help him be successful. And remember, you don't have to run the ball every play for play action to work, right? You could run the ball only 40% of the time, and play action will still work because linebackers, you know, they're linebackers, safeties, everybody on the defensive side of the ball, Everybody has a gap that they're responsible for, right? And so once that happens, like they are just trained. They have to take a step toward the area, right, that they're responsible for based on the way their scheme is set up. So I think there's a lot of things we could really see the Saints do with Jameis, with the improved weapons. And I think I look at last year as being, you know, encouraging. And, you know, just the fact that he's already out there um, in OTAs despite, you know, having a you know, midseason injury with the knee, it sounds like he's going to be full systems go by the time the season starts. 
And with that report that Jameis was limping around again, I believe it was Dr. Evan Porras that pointed out when you're wearing that knee brace that he is still wearing as he's recovering, like it'd be surprising for someone not to be limping in that. So just because we, you know, we have a random early June headline of someone trying to get some clicks doesn't mean we need to actually listen to what they're saying when we have a doctor telling us that the guy is just fine. So not worried about that. Does seem to be fully on schedule. Not expecting him to all of a sudden find this renewed rushing floor that he never really had in the first place but also not expecting him to be missing crucial training camp time. Dwayne, we both seem like we are fans of the Jameis Winston experience. I'm happy that the Saints signed him down for the next two years. I think he gives them a good chance to maybe not be a legit, legit contender, but make the playoffs, and we'll see what happens once we get into that single elimination format. We are a fantasy podcast, though, and with that in mind, I think people will be surprised when they kind of hear just how middling Jameis's kind of career fantasy numbers have been. We see the flashes. We saw them last year. QB3 in week one, QB5 in week five. Awfully low floor after that. In his other four starts where he was not injured, QB26, QB25, QB26, and QB15. And other than in 2019, man, when he had the longest leash of maybe any quarterback we've ever seen, the 30 for 30 year, I think it was 33 and 30, but Bruce Aaron saying, you know, no risk and no biscuit, do whatever the hell you want, Jameis. We got the ultimate Jameis Winston experience. He was the QB8 in fantasy points per game. It was good. That's great. We'd love to draft a QB8 when we can get him, you know, outside the top 20. But every other year of his career, 2021, QB14 in fantasy points per game. 2018, QB15, QB18, QB20, QB19. Like, Jameis really profiles as someone that's going to need to be Kirk Cousins or Derek Carr-esque, very efficient, because we're not getting any run game volume. But I'm not sure he's going to have the same sort of pass game volume from those guys. So... With everything we talked about with Jameis, he's got the two-year, $28 million deal. He's the guy. He's got good weapons. Where are you kind of ranking him? Because I'm sure not putting him right there in that tier with Kirk and um, Derek no, Carr. He goes, he goes below that. you know. So I think you, he, he, he belongs to be in the conversation with uh, Trevor Lawrence, Tua, Zach Wilson, Mac Jones, Daniel Jones. You could throw Ryan Tannehill if you want in yep. that group as well. Like that, That's the group I have him in, and I mostly – allowing especially in best ball right now where it's best ball season folks um it's i'm mostly allowing my picks earlier um to set up which quarterback i'm taking and i'm really treating Jameis the same way he is creeping up in adp though i've noticed over the last couple of weeks just with the good news around the health people do remember that one really big season the addition of jarvis landry Jameis's name is in the news a lot right now right so i don't know that this adp rise will stick and it's not high like he's still very affordable so if you end up taking a michael thomas or you end up taking chris Olave, you take jarvis landry you're 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 gonna very easily without having to reach too much you're gonna be able to make sure you get your stack with Jameis. so that that is a positive with him but yeah i'm not pushing him above any of those if he were to you know, really surprise us this year. I think the two guys you named would basically be the two names we would hope he would associate himself with, right? Yep. As far as like landing in a tier with would be Carr and Cousins. I think that's his upside case. I have Cousins and Carr, QB 14, 15. Then I have Watson, Justin Fields, and Jameis Winston sitting as QB 18. To your point though, he's right there in a tier with a bunch of those guys you named. If I have me a Chris Olave earlier in the draft, yeah, I'll happily go after Jameis. If I got Christian Kirk, I'll probably just, you know, maybe wait next round and get Trevor Lawrence. Not worry too much about that. QB 18 sound about right to you, Dwayne? Yep, that's, that's perfect. Like right in that range. I mean, I'm sitting here looking at him. I mean, I have him right now. Um, and I've got to I've got to update these quarterbacks like I haven't updated in the last month. So it's it's like back on the docket to be looked at again. But I had him at 25. But basically, I just want him in. The, I want him in the 20s and the early 20s is where he'll be. 
Moving on to running back, the Alvin Kamara legal situation. Can't really talk about him without going through this. Now his next hearing has been pushed to August. There is a chance that we kind of see a Dalvin Cook-esque situation emerge where the, the lawyers at hand are able to push this far enough into the future so that it really doesn't get resolved until the end of the 2022 season. It does seem like the NFL's kind of newfound protocol for these situations is to let everything legally finish up, come to a conclusion, and then the NFL will make their case. But for right now, man, I am expecting Alvin Kamara to be suspended for at least a small chunk of the beginning of the year. I would guess three to six games. Not an expert. I wasn't there, but man, potential battery charge. And there's apparently a video of the situation. We found this out all the way back in March um, when it was originally being reported. Maybe it was even January, February, because it happened at the Pro Bowl weekend. So as we know at the NFL, they could know something happened. It could be written clearly. But if they see a video of that exact same thing happening, they are more likely to be stingier and actually um, give a uh, you know, a suspension to that problem. So with that in mind, man, like Dwayne right now in best ball, I know we're also previewing this like for a look ahead next year. So we'll talk about, you know, the potential for Kamara to not be facing the suspension threat and then how we would rank him. But right now, man, seeing Alvin Kamara still going as the RB 10, I think people just aren't recognizing that he has this kind of potential suspension hanging over his head because for the life of me, I don't know how you can take Kamara ahead of guys like Fournette, Saquon, James Conner. They're all veteran backs that, let's face it, weren't very efficient last year. That includes Alvin Kamara. Kamara, Conner, and Saquon averaged the exact same amount yards per carry last season. I'd argue Fournette, Barkley, and Conner have probably best case roles that are higher than Kamara just slightly because I know we saw them give Alvin a massive rushing role for a large part of the early uh, early season last year, but they brought in Mark Ingram, already started to eat into that. I think we know ideally they'd like Kamara to be more of a 200 carry guy with the potential to catch all those passes, but Fournette, Saquon, Connor aren't really leaving the field. They all suffered an injury at one point last year, so to me, Dwayne, none of these guys are hurt right now, but Kamara's the one that's looking at losing potentially three to six games because of this suspension. I have him RB14 in the midst of all this, because of the suspension, are you taking him at all at cost right now in best ball? I've avoided him so far. Um, you know, I've, I've still got him sitting there in that tier, um, you know, with the other players, like just, but here's my thing with, with Camara. If we weren't looking at the legal situation, you know, he'd be in my top six backs. You yep. know, I actually would like it if they would lessen his load in the rushing game and <laughs> just let him do more as a passer, like what we saw, you know, in the years previous to the last year or two. You know, to me, it just kind of zapped a little bit of his efficiency, which is what's made Kamara so great. Plus, his, you know, obviously the his role in the receiving game in PPR and half point PPR leagues is a big plus. Um, but yeah, right now, I've just been I've just been leaving leaving him alone. Like, um, and I haven't. He's never fallen really far. Like, if he made it like to the mid third, I'd. I'd probably go ahead and pull the trigger on him right you know you want to go ahead and buy the news cycle if you can um but like to your point it it could just get pushed out a year his legal case but i mean there is there's a chance like that something big could still really happen with this and you could just end up getting nothing right out of your third round pick um so i mean i was just reading through drew davenport's um thread on it like if you guys don't follow drew it's at drew davenport ff um, over on Twitter, you know, he's he's a lawyer, but he does a great job breaking down like all of these guys, yeah. like Kamara, Dalvin Cook. Like I think he has the, the best legit threads, like from a lawyer perspective, and he does a great job of explaining it. Like, um, so you guys can check him out. But basically kind of echoes what you said, Ian. Like it, it looks like it's probably gonna get pushed out, but like 
you know, we have victims involved, like they're going to have a say in this and like, and, and there's video, like, and we don't know how bad that video really looks, yeah. but we know that video in the past has been a trigger for the league to jump in and take action. So yeah, I, I've just not been messing with him and I just haven't felt the need to because of all the names that you said, like n- number one, like honestly, ADP bakes into my model which makes Leonard Fournette my RB11. But you know earlier in the season when I wasn't using ADP for my model and I was just purely ranking my players, like Leonard Fournette was like my RB7. Like, and he still projects that way. I'm just trying to keep people from, you know, reaching too much on players so you can maximize your picks and grab, you know, a, a legit awesome receiver or whatever in the first round and come back and get Fournette in the second, right? I just, I want to build my tiers in a way that you guys don't just see it and misinterpret that and then you go grab Fournette with your first round pick when you could have had him in with your second. But just from a raw projection standpoint, like Fournette projects better than Kamara anyway. Mm-hmm. So it's just really hard for me to want to jump in on a player like like the Saints on a lesser offense than what we see with the Bucks and a lesser role than what we see with the Bucks. We love the player, um, but just with the question marks, I'm with you. I've just been really letting him slide by in drafts. Probably mid-third is about where I would pull the trigger, um, especially over in something like best ball. It'd probably be harder for me to pull the trigger over in like a FFPC main event or something, you know, with like two yeah. grand on the line. I, I don't know that I'm pulling the trigger on Camara at all. I agree with you on Fournette. And I think similar sentiment with James Conner. And you can even reach out there and go on a limb with Saquon Barkley. And I really can't. Oh, I, I, say, I say Barkley for sure. I yeah. say Aaron Jones as well. Fournette, Aaron Jones, Barkley, Conner. Um, I would even say Javonta Williams and DeAndre Swift. I've been taking all of those guys right now ahead of Kamara. I drew the line right. I have Kamara one spot ahead of Javante, but I'm not I'm not disagreeing with you there. I might go ahead and just take Javante over him when push comes to shove to begin with. We I this is one of the things that pisses me off about the Saquon chatter. It's like he's the only running back we're holding like an inefficient twenty twenty one against him. Like Alvin Kamara last year was tied for six in fantasy points per game with Joe Mixon. That's great. And why would we care how efficient he was if he's, you know, giving us that many points per game? But he was. He had the eighth most fantasy points below expectation. His PFF rushing grade was forty second among fifty qualified backs. Yards per carry, three point seven, forty second. He was thirtieth in yards after contact per carry, tied for fifteenth and missed tackles force per carry. So we still did show the ability to make some guys miss, but man, it just wasn't the prettiest season. And we did see that awesome receiving role that really only McCaffrey's been able to match over the years go down a little bit. And historically, one target is equal to about 2.7 carries in fantasy land. So I'm with you. I'm fine losing some of those carries. Give me the Austin Eckler role. Let's get more targets on the table. You know, we don't need to be giving our $75 million running back 300 plus touches fully based on rush attempts. So I'm with you. He would be my RBC with absolutely no issues about the suspension but right now for the life of me in best ball summer i just can't get behind that right now so yeah Dwayne, with no suspension we're taking jonathan taylor mccaffrey derrick henry Najee harris austin eckler ahead of him i think that's about it yeah yeah all right now behind kamara obviously with all some certainty we would like to think there's going to be some uh, potential value down in the later rounds of the draft Maybe there is in the form of Mark Ingram. It's not great. Career low, 3.5 yards per carry last year. I understand that's not the only way how to measure a running back, but if any of you had the you know displeasure of watching Ingram last year, I think we can all safely say that he's not the same guy he was a couple years ago. 32 years of age now. The Saints were willing when he just came onto the team, you know, all the all the national reporters talking about it. Like this always happens when a veteran, even if they're, you know, in the later stages of their career, they go to a new team, they get all the media attention. First two weeks, man, he had 18 touches and then 
22 touches, played 85% of the snaps and 72% of the snaps. It seemed like the Saints kind of realized, though, that Ingram wasn't the answer at that point. I couldn't find any injuries. Maybe I'm missing something, but I believe after those two games, he was inactive week 12. And then against the Cowboys in week 13, he actually ended up playing behind Ty Montgomery due to them experiencing some negative uh, game script and just being forced to trail for most of the game. So... I'm okay with Ingram in like the final two rounds of a draft, but even then, man, we got, we still got a good amount of running backs on the open market. David Johnson, Devontae Booker, Carlos Hyde, Devontae Freeman. I'm not saying any of those guys are going to come in and take over. I would expect Ingram to be the lead back in New Orleans while Kamara's sideline, but I really don't think we're going to be getting this 70-80% super fantasy-friendly handcuff roll. What do you think? Yeah, I think you're right. Um, obviously, like it would give Ingram at least an early season boost boost um i just don't see the way you know you're gonna have an older player like this that you plan on them just kind of being your bell cow like you're gonna have to have other options to help spell um you know ingram and i was just looking too at the injury thing he did end up as questionable with a knee injury uh last last year on november 25th versus okay. buffalo he missed that game but it did linger a little bit you know how the saints are like it's not always on the injury report um then if you saw the final two games of the season he missed also with the knee injury. So I, I know he, I can't remember when he picked that up because this, I'm just looking over here on profootballreference.com on their injuries. So you can't really tell, like I don't have the full practice report of like how long he was dealing with that. Um, I looked at injury predictor issue. and they didn't even list it. So I don't tentatively don't think it was anything that required surgery or something super severe. No, it wasn't surgery, but I just remember it being something where you and I were having to monitor it, like going into our Friday injury shows um, where there was something going on with him. But anyway, um, it, none of that even actually matters that much. Um, I was just kind of trying to answer what you had been you know, asking about earlier. At the end of the Thanks, day, it's, just, it's, it's, it's an older back look, <laughs> and we just can't have a lot of confidence in it. So you're going to hear noise about you know, Tony Jones, um, Abram Smith, like, but to your point, I don't know. Like, I mean, I guess Abram Smith would be the one you might, you know, try to take a swing on. I just don't know how we make that actionable right now. Wasn't like, there a report is... a few weeks ago that the Saints would be looking at adding a veteran back closer to the season? I tried to find this before the show, but I could. I think. Well, I think they will, if, yeah. especially if the Camara thing happens. Like, I think they absolutely will, um, because the other two guys on the roster behind their old guy, you know, in Ingram, like they're complete unknowns, really. Yeah. And so I just don't think they would feel comfortable going into the season that way. Now, here's the other thing: like, if this happens. Um, that could make the Saints need to throw the ball even more. Like, yeah. if, if you don't really have the... We saw this last year with the Ravens, and I'm, we're not saying that the running back situation was the only thing that made the Ravens throw the ball more. Obviously, we'd seen them trying to draft receivers them. like multiple years in a row. But yes, it did help. Everything kind of broke a very specific way that made the Ravens, you know, uh, a team that passed the ball 11% more, right, than what they had in the previous seasons, which is a lot. That's a big jump. And so I, I don't think we would see a jump like that for the Saints. But, you know, I think we could see looking at the receivers they have and if the running back room is all of a sudden really weak, like I would honestly, like I would move them in my right now in my projections. I've got them 57-43, um, which is just slightly higher than what it had been over the last two years just because of the additions, uh, you know, of the different weapons. But like if we got that news, I'd probably go ahead and move it to like 60-40. Um, yeah. if we knew that Camara wasn't going to play for some length of time. 
before we move on to wide receivers one now this podcast is sponsored by FanDraft. are you holding an in-person fantasy football draft party this year then you need to check out fandraft.com FanDraft is a modern digitalized version of those old sticker boards we used to use at our drafts however unlike those outdated outdated sticker boards FanDraft makes your fantasy draft feel like the actual nfl draft features such as custom logos draft clock team walk-up songs a streaming news ticker all that and much more FanDraft works by running your league's draft from the fandraft.com website and then exporting your display onto a larger screen tv for the league to enjoy it can also be used fully online and any number of your league owners can join the draft remotely sign up for a free trial at fandraft.com when you're ready to order the pro account make sure you use promo code pff to save 50 percent off your purchase that's fandraft.com with code pff also want to note that the best place to play fantasy football this summer is underdog fantasy underdog will allow first time users to go in Double your first deposit up to $100 when you sign up using the promo code PFF. And also, if you play just 10 of those dollars using promo code PFF, you get a free PFF subscription. So what are you waiting for? Head on over to underdogfantasy.com or the App Store, play $10 with code PFF, and draft your best ball mania team today. Another situation, Dwayne, that we unfortunately got to talk about, an injury. It's not a legal situation. It's an injury before we can actually get into the player, and that is Michael Thomas. We received three updates about this nagging ankle injury that has prevented him, completely took him off the field in 2021, majority of the regular season in 2020. We did see him get back for the playoffs and then. But basically, three updates on that ankle over the past month. On May 6th, Saints head coach Dennis Allen said, there's still a few hurdles that we've got to climb with any of our guys that had any injuries they're trying to get back from. Not much there. May 26th, Allen said, I think he, Michael Thomas, is doing well in his rehab. He's not ready yet, but he's here. He's rehabbing, getting himself better and we're certainly anxious to get him out here when Allen was then asked if Thomas to be ready for training camp he said that's certainly our plan and then a day later on May 27th in my opinion the best Saints beat writer out there Nick Underhill reported that he does believe Thomas is heading in the right direction went on to explain that he won't be concerned about Thomas's regular season status unless he's not ready for Saints training camp in July with all this in mind Dwayne we have not personally gotten a chance to look at Michael Thomas's ankle we're not sure how he's running right now what are your overall thoughts on treating him just based on this injury going on? Because I'm, I'm a fan of fading the idea that players will get hurt down the road. Someone like Saquon Barkley, that you'll just say, he'll get hurt. He's not hurt right now, but trust me, he's going to get hurt in the future. Miss me with that idea. But someone like Michael Thomas, who is actively injured already, very different story. Yeah, um, but the good news is like he is like, like he's getting you know better. Right. Yeah. Like he should be on the upswing. Right. It's not a player. Now, if all of a sudden you get a setback with Michael Thomas um, once he's back at practice or all of a sudden he's not back at practice and we're like um, at the end of August, you know, heading into early September, I'll be a lot more concerned. So I've I've been being careful with Thomas, you know, so far, like in the best ball streets, just not getting overexposure. But at the same time, just just knowing that, look, it's a player going into his age twenty nine and a half season. And the last time, you know, we saw him, he basically was demanding more targets than anyone we know, (laughs) you know, like he's a guy that can hit those 30% targets per route run type uh, numbers, you know, because, you know, well, one, it was he and Drew Brees, that thing you do have to be concerned about, you know, will he be able to do the same thing? But we do have a small sample size where even with Taysom Hill, right, um, the year before last, where he played some games with, uh, you know, Thomas and he He had two games. Two games over 100 yards with Taysom freaking hell. He still was getting peppered, and that's my big point. So uh, while, yeah, I would prefer it be Drew Brees, I get it. Like, I think he'll be fine, you know, with Jameis. But as far as the way, you know, I'm I'm handling him, I'm treating him as a low-end wide receiver two, high-end wide receiver three. And I think 
you can take the way you feel about the injury and choose which one of those two buckets you want to put Michael Thomas in. So here's here's the situation that I look at. Like once you get to Elijah Moore, Amon Ross St. Brown, Gabriel Davis, Drake London, a lot of young guys that we really like their talent, but there's still some unknowns. You got some quarterback challenges, things like that. Like to me, that's the mix where Thomas like I could easily see myself just taking Thomas, right? Instead of taking one of those, because he's already proven that he can have, you know, this huge target ceiling. And these other guys, like, while we like them, they've still got to continue to prove themselves, right? And for Drake London, like, he's still got to show it, you know, in his first time. So I do see certain drafts where, um, you know, people will still continue to pass Thomas. He occasionally will slide, like, and so the injury news becomes, you know, this kind of thing. And so that's where I'm getting my exposure right now. I'm just seeing when that kind of draft starts to happen, you have to be positioned the right way, right? You know, sometimes he'll go off the board right in front of me, but I haven't been forcing him that much. But I will say this, if we start to get multiple positive pieces of news around Michael Thomas, like his ADP is going to go, it's going to go higher, you know? So, I mean, I like the idea of getting some exposure to him now, not like trying to do it too much, um, but look, if he's 100% healthy, I think he's, you easily have to treat him like a wide receiver two with wide receiver one upside. I think if he was 100% healthy, I'd slot him behind those Denver guys right at the bottom of the wide receiver two scale, like ahead of Amari Cooper, ahead of Goblin, and that bunch. I and that's did, why I have him right now. I may have him a tad high. Um, you know, I'm higher than ADP on him. And, and, and usually when I do something like this, it's me telling everyone, like, absolutely go buy this player. I have them well above ADP, which is why I'm considering just tweaking a little bit, um, just because that, that's not what I'm trying to say here on this particular player. I do like getting exposure to Thomas, but I've got him at 24. His ADP on FFPC is 31st. On underdog is right around 31 as well. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I probably need to tweak it a little bit. To your point, I have him just below. Court. I've got Mike Williams, Marquise Brown, Cortland Sutton, Jerry Judy, Chris Godwin. And then I have Mike Thomas at the bottom of that tier. For now, with there being those questions. Again, the reports I read weren't bad, but it does tell us that he's not ready at this moment in time. And I really freaking wish he would be. I do kind of have Thomas down a little bit at wide receiver 35. He's in that tier with all those guys you mentioned. I am happy to bump him above pretty much all of them the second he's healthy. But man, if we do get news that there was a setback or he's just not going to be ready for July, which is what Nick Underhill was saying is when he would be concerned, like we could see that ADP dip even lower. And then see someone like Chris Olave start rising more and more through. Before we do get a little more to Olave, I do want to dispel a couple things. Uh, you listeners that caught me last year uh, on this podcast, man, Michael Thomas was, I think, I remember PFF did a graphic and it was like Michael Thomas, Deontay Johnson, Devontae Smith, I think Jalen Waddle were like the four guys I was just much higher on compared to ADP. Expecting him to be healthy, being the undisputed number one in that offense with Jameis, you know, you could see how that upside was going to be there. And I just reject this idea that Michael Thomas is this low dot wide receiver. Of course, like that, 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 that's all he can do. Of course, he's a low dot wide receiver when you're catching passes from late career Drew Brees, Teddy Two Glove Bridgewater, and Taysom freaking hill i mean my god man that underthrow that Taysom had to emmanuel sanders a couple years ago where he took like four crow hops and still only threw like 40 yards downfield how can anyone see that and then have the audacity to think that michael thomas can't go deep he hasn't needed to go deep he hasn't been able to go deep because his quarterbacks can't throw the ball 20 yards downfield hell he even had to catch passes in college from jt barrett most of the time instead of cardale freaking 12 gauge jones so looking at thomas Entering last year, Michael Thomas caught 33 of 36 catchable targets thrown at least 20 yards downfield, fourth highest mark among 64 qualified wide receivers. 
if you want to call him Slant Boy because he's awesome at slants, go ahead. 6.44 yards per route run on slants, number one among 145 qualified wide receivers. But guess what? Comebacks and hitches, second highest yards per route run. Ends, post, and crossing routes, he's sixth. Outs and corner routes, he's 41st. Goes, wheels, fades, and general deep routes, 24th among this, again, 100-plus wide receiver sample group. So, I don't know, Dwayne, like, we were joking around in my uh, Twitter comments today because I made a similar point, and someone brought up the point that, like, yeah, we don't call Steph Curry three-boy. We never we never complain about Shaq just only getting his points on dunks. Like, the idea that we're just completely just dismissing Michael Thomas as an elite wide receiver because he's so dominant on running slants and people can't stop it. Uh, It's just always bothered me and annoyed me. So with that kind of off my chest, I do think that, you know, he can... Let me ask you this real quick, Ian. So like, so even I'm sitting here looking at Thomas now, right? And we talked about the players that I've got in below in this tier. We talked about the players that I've got him above in this tier. Elijah Moore, Darnell Mooney, Amon Ross St. Brown, Gabriel Davis... Drake London, London, and I'm not so sure I'm going to move him just because right now, like maybe I will. Um, but I mean, of all those guys, like if you ask me to pick one that I think could have a 30% target share this season, like I'm probably going to lean to the guy that I know has done it multiple times, you know, and that's yeah. Michael Thomas. And so when I look at the next tier, I would move him to, it would be, you know, another tier three receiver tier where I've got DeAndre Hopkins, Allen Robinson, Amari Cooper and Brandon Cooks. And so I, I think that might be the tier where he fits better, but I would argue that he's got more upside than any of those. Like if he's healthy, I think his upside is higher than any of those other guys. And we love Brandon Cooks, you know, but we like Brandon Cooks as a nice wide receiver three. I think Michael Thomas could still come through and have, you know, we well, we like Brandon Cooks as a wide receiver two as well. But I think if you had to ask me which one would I put a chip on to be the most likely to come out and have a wide receiver one season. I would still make it Michael Thomas. Like, cause, cause Hopkins, he could come back after six weeks and be really good, but you're going to have already missed six weeks. That's half of your fantasy season is already gone by the time Hopkins gets back. So I think my answer would be Thomas out of Hopkins, Allen Robinson, Amari Cooper, and Brandon Cook. So I don't know if I'm going to move him. I, I feel like I've got him in the right range. Um, but yeah, a lot depends on the injury. I guess I don't see the overall target numbers potentially being that different for guys like Thomas versus London, Burks, Mooney. Amonra, Elijah Moore. I understand Thomas can get that 30%. He got it before, but man, he got it with 35-year-old like Ted Ginn just running, you know, freaking gassers on one of the sidelines. Now, first round pick Chris Olave. Like Jarvis Landry, Jarvis Landry is the second best wide is probably the best wide receiver that Michael Thomas has already played with. He's gonna be the number three wide receiver on this team. And then yeah, I do think they're gonna throw the ball a little bit more, but we have a long ways to go with this run first offense, man. Like that's just the part that concerns me uh more than anything. If you look at them last year, Saints wide receivers 29th in both total routes and targets. I mean only Eagles wide receivers caught fewer total passes. So it's, you know, we talked about this with Devontae Smith for a lot last year. Like, yeah, you would see the air yard share and the target share and Devontae Smith numbers were elite. But once you started adding in the volume at hand, it just wasn't quite as, you know, useful for fantasy purposes. I'm not as convinced that Thomas is going to be able to reach 30% with someone like Chris Olave, who I don't know, man, I don't think it's a given that Thomas leads the team in targets. If he's, even if he's healthy, like Chris Olave, yeah, typically think, though, one. Uh, well, yeah, I like Olave, but I mean, if you're, like, and I know you've done this before, like projecting and like, you know, if you know career arcs and all that kind of stuff, like the most we're going to project Chris Olave for is 20%. Like, and you're going to want him to come through on big plays. Could he give you more than that? Yes. My point is on Michael Thomas, we're not going to project him at 30%. But if I have a pick a guy that I know 
can get to a 30% target share, yeah. it is Michael Thomas over all the guys that I've named. Like, I would feel the most comfortable if you said, look, man, you've got to project one of these players for a 30% target share. That's And that is where you and I differ a little bit in our process. I care a little less. Like, I care about car- target competition, but I care less. Right, you factor it in a little bit more. Like you're a little probably heavier, I would say, on situation. I'm a tad heavier on what I believe I'm looking at with the talent of the players, and we're still really close, like in our process, you know. But it's good. Like we, I think that's good because that keeps you and I, you know, trying to keep each other, you know, sharp, right, on the takes and on the ways that we're looking at these things. So that that's where it comes for me with Thomas. Like, look, I know Amari Cooper's not getting thirty percent. Like it would be like an act of God. He's never done it in his career. He's had plenty of time to do it. Um, you know, Brandon Cooks, you know, has had all this time to do it. Allen Robinson has had plenty of time to do it. And they're all also older receivers like him. You know, the one that I would pick would probably not be the one everybody would think. But I think the other one I would pick, if you had to make me pick a second place, it would be a Monroe St. Brown. And I'm not, again, not saying he will do it, but I saw him do it for a stretch of games whenever all anyone had to worry about was him. And the defenses still couldn't take him away. Like, so there's a talent to that. And so I think with Thomas, even though back in the day he didn't have the target competitions, the same thing. Like, I've seen him be able to put a team on his back, just to your point. You call him slant boy, call him him whatever you want. But the bottom (laughs) line is no one could freaking stop it. And there's just not many receivers in the league that when the other team know it's happening, that they just can't stop it. Most receivers you can take out of their game. Thomas is, and who knows if he's still that guy, right? We're talking about an older player coming off multiple injuries. Like, it may not be there anymore. Um, But if I had to pick one, that's who I would take. And unfortunately, with all these guys, like, we don't have that just elite quarterback play to make us feel better. And that was, I guess, right. you know, when that we puts had them our, all on evil. Yeah. yeah. When we had our long ass conversation about Mike Evans with uh, some of the stuff coming in as well. I mean, I guess I'm so, I'm just so confident in Tom Brady having a great year. And I think with Evans there, that like, he's going to be able to go in with that. So I just think that the quarterback talent, the, we, we all know this, like the quarterback is able to enhance his teammates around him more than any other position and probably all of sports. So when we have, like, if we are going to make a slight exception to the rule of getting a little bit older receiver, someone that maybe does have a little bit more target competition we might as well make that exception for someone like Mike Evans or Keenan Allen with quarterbacks that yeah like probably are favored to actually lead the league in passing yards and passing touchdowns so Michael Thomas again right, but we've I, got but we had Mike Evans and Keenan Allen well above Michael Thomas right you know, because, well, because of, of that the because they're on yeah. way yeah because they're on way better offenses so that's why I'm that's, saying it's not it's not as cut and dry here because unfortunately all these quarterbacks and I Jameis is better than Goff, than Wilson, than Fields, than Tannehill's pretty freaking close. Jameis, you can put him at the top of that tier. And then if the volume is, I guess the volume leans a little bit towards Michael Thomas. But then for me, like, I think there's somewhat close, slight edge to Thomas. The injury thing's enough for me to fade him for right now. But I'm with you. If we can remove the injury tag and we know he's good to go, I'll take him over all those guys, no problem. Yeah, my gut is he's going to be on the field with everything I'm reading and that his ADP is going to go up. His ADP has already slipped. So I'm, you know, again, I'm not forcing him, but where I can get him past ADP right now or right around ADP, if it makes sense for my build, I'm going to go ahead and do it. Because if I had to pick one way or another, what I think is going to happen to Michael Thomas's ADP this summer is that it's going to go up. Um, and I think it it could honestly get quite steamed just because of all the challenges that we've talked about. You know, some of these other uh, players have around them, such as crowded depth charts, um, you know, unproven more than one or two years, also have quarterback challenges. I could see people easily gravitating to a guy like Michael Thomas and starting to think, even though this wouldn't be right, but thinking, well, man, why shouldn't he just be up there by Mike Evans and Keenan Allen, right? Um, so 
that that's that's where I'm at on Thomas. But anyway, this is this is a good one. I know we have other guys to talk about, so we can move along. All right. Just for the record, I'm moving Thomas up to wide receiver 30 behind Brandon <laughs> Cooks and Allen Robinson. So I got him to move. What did what you do? Move him one spot? <laughs> no, I moved him like <laughs> five spots. I, 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 moved, I moved him ahead of those uh, young, younger receivers. Uh, you know, you know what, Dwayne? Even though I'll, I'll bark back at you sometimes, I think you make a lot of sense. So we'll go ahead, help the viewers out, and get the best ranks we can out there. The bit, the bigger point is, I think you're right about his ADP probably moving up, and I don't want to be below him right now based on that. So you know, wide receiver 30 versus 31 ADP. I'm not saying to go sell your mortgage right. just for, to get extra Michael Thomas on the table. <laughs> but, uh, no, it does seem like the general trend would be uh, towards him playing. Did you even catch uh, the one – that was the one piece of news I've ever broke on this podcast, Dwayne, was uh, I had a buddy who – one of my, uh, my best friend's brother played uh, some ball back in high school with a former NFL tight end who actually was able to text – my brother's buddy, and then let me know basically like, hey, your boy Michael Thomas is an idiot, didn't get surgery on his ankle, and like this shit was going to go down. So I told the podcast last year this in like June. I didn't even tweet it, man. Like if someone would actually would have cut out what I said, like it was the most like, here's this big report. Now, please like don't put any sort of uh, faith into it. And like if it's wrong, like I'm really sorry. But like three weeks later, man, Schefter came out uh, and happened to do it. So that's fine. It was fun. I, in a million years, like never, ever want to be an NFL reporter because my God, I cannot just imagine being glued to my phone at all hours of the day, but we got one Dwayne. Uh, we'll see. We'll, we'll see what happens. <laughs> we'll see if we can get at least half of another one like this, this season. Let's talk some Chris Alave. You know, Dwayne, I was watching a bunch of his highlights and I don't know if anyone's ever had the same thought, but man, this dude's pretty smooth out there, right? Has anyone else ever used that adjective for uh, Chris Olave? I don't know. Maybe somebody like that's on this podcast with you, but I don't know. My goodness. All right, just all, you know, hijinks aside. About Olave from our 2022 NFL Draft Guide. I'm sure most of you college football fans have seen him already, but just real quickly from the lovely mind of our draft expert, Mike Renner, where he wins with his route running. Alave wins with high-level route running and plus speed. Leave him on an island with no help over the top too often. You will eventually pay what's his role reliable number two or a z alave is your prototypical number two receiver he's not a do it all guy but he's adept enough downfield that defenses can't leave him one-on-one where he can improve after the catch alave's main weakness is only that he may not be elite at anything in particular there's not much to his game that qualifies as problematic seems like similar finding as what you were able to pull out a little bit earlier this offseason Dwayne. while alave doesn't you know check every single box with like flying colors Man, you start looking at what he was able to do against man coverage, particularly in some of those routes we see more at the NFL level, and you start seeing why a team like the Saints fall in love with him enough to take him 11th overall. Yeah, PFF receiving grade of 89.9 on the staple routes. Um, So the staple routes, the the easiest way to think about it is any route that the NFL uses over 7% of the time, hitch, out, crossing, slant, go, and in. And I left the screen. I left the screen out. The screen is technically over seven percent, but you know, I, it's it's you know, it's a design play, right? I wanted to t- I wanted to take the routes that where the player like actually has to do something, you know, to get open. And so, if you take all of those and you look across them, you know, really Alave was just one of the best players. Uh, that PFF receiving grade of eighty nine point nine was one of the best. If you look at his uh, yards per route run, three point two two on staple routes, so that's really strong. Um, he's NFL ready. Like he can run routes at all levels of the field. He can separate at all levels of the field. I think he will do a great job of providing a vertical element, you know, to the passing game for the Saints as well. And honestly, like Alave is a guy, and I mentioned it earlier when we first opened the show 
but he's one of the guys I'm most excited about just for what he can do for the whole offense. Because yeah. really, think about it. Like, who else? Now, look, we love uh, Deontay Hardy. Like, he's a, he's a favorite of the show. Andrew Erickson last year, uh, you know, was a big Deontay Hardy guy. And for good reason. Like, he checks a lot of box, but he's, he's... It's because he's from Andrew's hometown, but he also does check a lot of boxes. But he checks a lot of boxes <laughs> as far as big plays, yards per route run, stuff like that. Now, but he's just not a guy. They, they clearly don't want him on the field all the time. Alave is a guy that you can now have at have out there all the time and that makes the underneath stuff for or intermediate stuff for a michael thomas better right and you know thomas to your point could expand his route tree as well he's playing with a quarterback more willing to throw the ball down the field now um, it's not his fault he was playing with drew Brees, but i just feel like the offense now overall could take a big step forward with Alave. but i really like you know chris Alave. i'm getting i'm he's I'm drafting him as much as I can, basically. Like, I like Alave. I like Garrett Wilson. And I, I just specifically really like where they're going in the drafts, right? Right now over on Underdog, which is a wide receiver-heavy format where receivers fly off the board quicker than you can imagine. Like, Garrett Wilson is pick 47. Chris Alave is pick 45. Uh, Russell Gage is pick 44. Uh, I like all of those players. But, you know, Alave is a guy that, to your point, there could be – there could be some potential, you know, hidden upside if for some reason, you know, Thomas isn't back to what he usually was. And maybe there's just more room um, for him to demand even a few more targets, right, than what we may be expecting in his rookie year. But I think the biggest thing is he's NFL ready. I would expect him to come out and be able to do a lot of things for the Saints, um, including light up some box scores for himself. And it's kind of curious why Alave is like in this next tier versus the other rookies or even some of these like year two wide receivers. I mean, Again, I think Jameis is probably as good, if not better, than all those other guys we were just talking about. And, like, Drake London, yeah, he's the number one receiver in Atlanta, but he's looking at a situation where he's probably going to be sharing as much with Kyle Pitts as we might expect Alave to be sharing with Michael Thomas. Traylon Burks, he's in a run-first offense that I think we have more reason to believe is not going to be passing the ball as opposed to someone like the Saints. And, like, even Garrett Wilson, who is now finally going behind, but he has more target competition than just about anyone in terms of Elijah Moore and Corey Davis doing their things as well. I have Chris Olave, wide receiver 41 right now, so ahead of consensus. And he really does profile as someone that will be, wait for it, drum roll, better in best ball because of that fuel stretching ability and likely his usage in this offense, but does have that chance to get a lot more. I will say, just because he was drafted this high as a top three receiver doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be all, you know, just beautiful. I looked at the top three wide receivers drafted in each of the past five drafts, and there are some hits. Jamar Chase finished as the wide receiver five in PPR points per game. Waddle was 16th a couple years ago. Uh, you know, we had Calvin Ridley at 28th. A lot of overall misses, though. I mean, the average finish was 67.8, mostly because John Ross somehow averaged negative fancy points per game in his first career <laughs> season. Uh, but really, only six of these 15 wide receivers even finished as a wide receiver three. I mean, Devontae Smith, wide receiver 44, Judy 59, Ruggs 99, CeeDee Lamb 33, Marquise Brown 50, Debo Samuel 33, DJ Moore 54. I mean, I left out even worse guys, but I'm just trying to show like even truly talented players like a DJ Moore, like a CD Lamb, you know, weren't able to really boom as a rookie just because of various factors going around. So tough to really think about the whole ceiling with Alave. I'm happy he's not going as high into that wide receiver three range as the other guys, because at that price point, I might be a little less willing to get him. But yeah, Dwayne, as long as he's going outside the top 40, like sign me up for that. Yeah, I mean, you're drafting him as an upside wide receiver four, right? That could that could give you any range of a wide receiver three to a wide receiver two finish, right? Could, could he get to one? Yeah, but like 
that would be tough. But I think he could finish anywhere between wide receiver three to he could land in that wide receiver two conversation, you know, in 12-team leagues, and not in eight-teamers. And eight-teamers, like wide receiver three is probably about, you know, where he's going to be. Um, but, yeah, I, I like him. I like the price tag on him. I like the price tag on him and Wilson. That's the beauty of a lot of these guys. Whenever you can get them as your wide receiver four, you know, you're betting on the talent, you know, for the most part, you know, because, look, sitting here talking through the Saints, there's an obvious thing here. Like, a big question mark is Michael Thomas. Yeah. Um, and if for some reason Michael Thomas is not part of the picture, Chris Olave's ADP will climb up. The only reason he's not being taken by Drake London, the only reason he's not being taken – even up around where Traylon Burks is, which is uh, like around pick 36 on the sites that we play on, um, is because Michael Thomas is there and there's the potential of Michael Thomas playing. If, if we knew Michael Thomas was not going to play, Chris Olave, I will promise you, like he will immediately shoot up draft boards and he'll be getting taken around the same area as Drake London, which is more around like wide receiver 33. Heck, you could see him maybe climb a little bit past him. Like, um, you know, but it'd be somewhere in that range. But the, the idea of Michael Thomas being a potential target hog and being healthy this season is what is what's keeping the price tag on Olave affordable. You mentioned him earlier, but shout out to Deontay Hardy. Any of uh, any fellow fantasy football content creators listening to this podcast know exactly what I'm talking about when I say if you've run like any sort of efficiency study from last season, like you're going to see a bunch of stub wide receivers, and then right there in that mix, Deontay Hardy, what he was able to do on a per route basis. But based on these moves, we're just not expecting him to even be on the field in three wide receiver sets. Likely not more than a gadget esque player, which you know when you're five foot three or whatever the hell he is, you know it does kind of makes sense with that said Jarvis it is Landry, nuts though it is no, nuts Ian. just give him his give him we gotta give him his props just real quick 27 percent targets per route run 2.69 yards per route run 6.8 yards after the catch uh 19 of the time he's getting targeted 20 plus yards down the field touchdowns per route run 1.4 percent that's well above average for wide receiver so like literally you know pff receiving grade like overall 86.7 with some like, sick plays like not not all flukes by any stretch exactly not just scheme design stuff like he's beating you know two safeties a corner and a safety over the top of defenses some of the throws you talked about from winston were too you know hardy like yep. th- those are who those plays were going to so sorry i didn't want to stop you down but i, I did have to give i did you know i look at all this efficiency stuff maybe even too much but I had to give him a shout out because like he and Antonio Brown are the two players that basically we don't even know if they're going to be on the field this year very much. But from an efficiency standpoint, like they just stick out compared to everyone else that's around them. No, exactly. I'm happy you had those ready because, again, even though we can't get behind Deontay Hardy, he's just not going to have a big enough role this year to be fantasy viable. Really did have a special last year. And, you know, I cannot wait to play this dude in some preseason DFS contests. <laughs> Only a few more months away from that, everyone. With Jarvis Landry, I have him like wide receiver 68. We can talk about moving him up a couple spots if you want. But Dwayne really doesn't seem more than just a late round dart and someone that, hey, if you get Chris Olave or Michael Thomas and then you want to get Jameis Winston as well, yeah, add Jarvis Landry in. But, you know, as you brought up a lot with these players, I don't think there's a scenario where we're kicking ourselves for not drafting Jarvis Landry this time in December. I did recently move Landry up because um, ADP is part of the way I, I set my tiers and ranks up. You know, it's it's one component to it. And his ADP has been rising, obviously, since he signed. So now over on Underdog East going at pick 61, um, FFPC pick 58. 
I've got him at 62, kind of similar to what you just mentioned a moment ago with Michael Thomas. You're like, I'm going to have him around ADP. I'm not pounding the table that, you know, hey, look, Ian's got him 10 spots ahead. You got to take him. That's not what you're trying to do here. But I think he does belong. So here's the tier I've got him in now. And I think, you know, when you hear it, I don't think you'll have any complaints, but we'll see. Alan Lazard, Jacoby Myers, (laughs) Marquez Valdez-Scantling, Kenny Galladay, Tim Patrick, Jameson Crowder, Jarvis Landry. And then when you get to the tier below, you just got more guys that are a little unproven. There's, you know, you could take them over them if you want for upside, but it's Nicole Hardman, Jalen Tolbert, Alec Pierce, George Pickens, Wondell Robinson, even Van Jefferson. So it's kind of like this little mini tier of guys, you know, um, and, and Lazard hasn't really proven anything else either. Um, but, you know, he's definitely going to have an opportunity. So I've got him right there in with that range. I don't think, to your point, not going to be a league winner. And here's the thing with Landry, guys. If Michael Thomas plays, I do believe Chris Olave will be the other starting receiver outside. The Saints run a lot of heavy personnel packages. They do not run three wide receiver sets like 80% like the Cowboys and the Bengals. They'll, now, they could do it a little more because they're going to have Jarvis Landry, right? And that could that they could say, well, we like Landry enough that we want to run at 70% or 65% of the time. But historically, right, they'll use the fullback a lot. They'll use the double tight end sets a lot. And so a lot of games, especially in scripts where they don't have to, and we already talked about the the Saints and what they've looked like as far as running the ball versus the league average across all game scripts, like there are scenarios where Jarvis Landry could only be on the field for 50% of the routes. And that's, that's the killer. Like Landry's underlying data points are still really good. Even last year, targets per route run 24%, yards per route run 1.76%. Um, I mean, those are really strong numbers for a receiver that is at his age. Now, now some of it is because he gets to play from the slot, but he played outside some in Cleveland as well. You know, he really played that Z role. So Landry's still a good player. Um, I'm more concerned, like, man, what can his, what is his route ceiling? You know, if we have Michael Thomas and Alave out there, like, I, I just worry it could be like 60% route participation. And if that's the case, on a team that may want to stay balanced, it's just going to be tough to get a lot of value out of Landry. And note Landry's rising ADP as soon as he landed on the Saints, which not a bad landing spot, but I don't think we were necessarily circling that as like a top three for fantasy purposes. Exactly why you should be fine throwing a late round dart at Julio Jones because with him going outside, like I still think the top 80 over an underdog, any team, you can pick Hillary Jones on any of the 32 teams. He will not be going outside the top 80 once he is signed on to a team. Similar sentiment with Will Fuller and OBJ, yeah. but we have a little more injury concern going on with those guys, particularly uh, Beckham. But yeah, just something to keep in mind. And Beckham's really stuff. falling though. So like now, like he was like pick, and I say falling, like his ADP is still fine, but like I, I got my first share of, eight of Odell Beckham Jr. this weekend um, in a stream that, you know, Brian Drake and I did over on the hustle we got up and you know, like savages, we just did one like I think it was Sunday morning. Oh yeah, <laughs> we just text each other. I think I woke him up from the Paul- <laughs> he had come home from a Paul McCartney contest. I was like, hey man, you want to draft on underdog? And I got my first share of OBJ. He slipped like 30, 30 spots past ADP, and I was like, okay, like I'll take a shot as like my wide receiver eight on a team, and we'll just see if he comes around you know late in the season. Because to your point, once he signs, even if we know he's not going to be a factor until October, October, like just signing is going to move him up, you know? So yeah, I'm with you. We'll finish things up with a look at the tight end room. Taysom Hill, Adam Troutman, Nick Vanette, Westerville Central alum, got to play against him in high school, and also Jawan Johnson, the week one two-touchdown hero, I believe, from last season. 
Do we think Taysom Hill is worth it, Dwayne? Because I do see some people and some smart people in the industry prioritizing Taysom Hill towards the end of of the draft. Obviously, our best case scenario is for Taysom Hill to have that tight end designation, find his way back under center, and then just do his, you know, bad real-life quarterback but good fantasy quarterback because he runs around like a chicken with his head cut off routine, and we get a bunch of fantasy points out of it. Not trying to insult Taysom. I actually put out a highlight of Taysom Hill. Didn't include the primetime music. I need at least 60 seconds of highlights for you to unlock the music. So no music. But with Taysom Hill, I mean the touchdown run against the Giants where he broke like six tackles. He hurled a guy against the Cowboys. Hurled a guy against the Patriots. Like, he is sick. He's objectively really good with the ball in his hands. You can look at the numbers after contact, missed tackles for us. Then, you know, a lot of it's coming in these like single wing formations where I think the defense kind of knows who's getting the ball in the first place. So Really good with the ball in his hands, but man, first seven games of last season where he wasn't playing quarterback, snap rates of 35%, 23%, 53%, 50%, 16%, 22%, and 31%. I mean, he had six targets all season, bro, and maybe I could wrap my round, wrap my mind around the tight end idea if... We knew he was like already the goal line back, but that wasn't even the case last year. He only had three carries inside the five yard line all season long. Kamara had nine inside the 10 yard line. It was 17 to seven in favor of Kamara. I mean, Mark Ingram had two carries inside the five yard line. He almost reached what Taysom was there. So I don't see them like always going like Taysom Hill. He's, he's an annoying vulture sometimes, but it's not like a Mike Tolbert situation where every short yardage situation they're bringing Taysom Hill. So we're not getting a full-time goal line role. I highly doubt with Troutman there who played at least 50% snaps in all 13 of his games, 80% reps on eight separate occasions. I don't think Troutman is just going to be gone and we're getting a full-time tight end role for Taysom Hill. So now what we're, we're going to take that touchdown rate he had in 2019 on like six touchdowns and 19 catches and hope that works out. We already talked about why he needs not one injury, he's two injuries away from being back a quarterback. I just don't think Taysom Hill is really even worth a late round pick. I would rather take my Evan Ingram, take an actual tight end, take someone that's not 32 freaking years old at this point, then go, go and have with Taysom. Maybe famous last words, but I'm out on Taysom Hill. What say you, Dwayne? Yeah, so I think there's a couple things um, you have to think about with Taysom Hill, and one is like format that you're playing in. So like if you're trying to win uh, a best ball mania and you want to have some exposure, like I think it's fine to get some exposure to Taysom Hill just on the chance that he does become the starting quarterback for the Saints. And when I say this, you're like, you're ta- you're, you're ta- yeah, but dude, if he does, it's one of those if when, when you're right, like what does it really get you? And so here's what I would say. Like, if you're going to take Taysom Hill with one of your last two picks over in an underdog draft, you know, as a tight end, number one, he needs to be your tight end three. You're not depending on him for anything other than you catch this lightning in a bottle scenario where he's going to be a top three tight end because he's getting to play quarterback for two or three weeks. The other thing I would say, you know, with Hill is, you know, if you're going to, I'm not trying to be overexposure, right? In that kind of, you know, situation, I'm just doing it here or there. Like I've thrown him, I think I've drafted him on one team so far, like out of like 10 or so that I've drafted. I see some people that draft him, you know, a whole lot and you know, that's your, your prerogative. But if you're going to do that, you can't, you, you better one, not be needing, um, you know, well, here's what I would say. You can't have a bunch of other dead squares on your team, right? And so one way that you're going to be facing a lot of dead squares is if you're having to draft receivers late as well because you're going to be drafting guys that are fourth or fifth on their depth chart, some of them that we don't even – because receivers are so pushed up on underdog. Like if you're going to be taking Taysom Hill you know, down around that spot, you can't also have – 
you know, a bunch of receivers that may never play a down on your team, you know, on your roster between like round 15 and 18. Mm -hmm. So you need to think ahead a little bit and like, fine, let Taysom be your one free square if you want to do that. But you can't have him stacked with like four other players that may not play at all. Like I just wouldn't build my roster that way. So on my one team where I have Taysom, like I'm really strong and I don't have a bunch of other free squares. He is my tight end three. Um, I may have him on two because I think I drafted him on one with you. I, I drafted him on the team with Ian last week just because the team sucks so damn bad. I knew I needed you drafted him. I did not. I did not. I did. Him. No, I drafted him in that draft because my team was so terrible. I needed a miracle. <laughs> and so Taysom Hill was my, you know, my on the spot invention of what a miracle <laughs> might look like. Um, so, yeah, look, I'm not saying it's it's going to happen. But when you're trying to win, you know, a tournament where, you know, point oh oh one percent or whatever, really going to make up all the, you know, the dollars like. I could I see why people get the allure of Hill because if it does hit, it's so huge. You you, you don't get that with Daniel Bellinger, right, from the Giants. Like his upside isn't holy crap. I get twenty five points a game from my tight end. Um, so it's all about risk versus reward. There's a ton of things that have to go right to get to get the reward from Taysom Hill. You know the risk is you don't have to spend very much draft capital to do it, but you you've got to make sure you've built your roster in a way where you don't have multiple other guys that are just going to be zeros. You know, if you, if you do, and then you take Taysom Hill on top of that, it's not really going to matter. You're not going to get your team through. You're not going to advance. And then, you know, it's really going to piss you off. All of a sudden, it's going to be that last week, and Taysom Hill, for whatever reason, is starting for the Saints, and your team isn't even in it because it sucks so bad because you didn't know how to handle the end of the draft. So, And that's not a message to you listeners. That's a message to me, to myself, <laughs> to make sure if I ever take Hill, like that's the kind of roster I want to have him on. So, But, but everything you're saying is legit, man. Like it, like if we sat here and we had to put odds on Taysom Hill or if Vegas were to put odds on Taysom Hill, like actually starting uh, a game, one game, much less becoming the starting quarterback for the Saints this season, like it would be really, 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 you know, you wouldn't, the, the odds would be really low on, on being able to hit that. I just think you should write an article like the Taysom Hill 2022 fantasy football outlook. First line, <laughs> do you believe in miracles? Question mark. And then just sign <laughs> off. Like that's all. Cause that's, that's what you're looking for there. But to your point, with those guys at the end of the draft, if you want to, if you want to play for week 17, like the whole industry seems to be trying to do lately, I guess he does have a pretty nice best case scenario. Thanks to that sweet, sweet rushing. I would still be taking guys like Austin Hooper, Brevin Jordan, real life tight ends ahead of him. I would note that uh, Ricky Seals Jones, who we all love Ricky. It looks like his ADP is dropping down, but yeah, he's not even starting right now in Giants OTAs. So we're not taking any of those Giants tight ends. So I will say Taysom Hill, I would take him over the Giants tight ends. And you know, maybe one other team. <laughs> that's about all I got, there. though. That's about all I got. So I think that's a fair line to draw, Ian. I think that's fair. <laughs> Adam Troutman, obviously someone that was pretty hype last year, including by yours truly, unfortunately. Sorry about that, fam. But not looking too good with Taysom Hill coming in there. I do have Troutman ranked right behind him, but the main moral of the story, I believe, for these tight ends is just no don't do it if you can at all help it. So, Dwayne, wrapping up everything, Jameis Winston, someone we're very excited about real life-wise and reasonably enough in fantasy, but he does fall into that QB2 tier where it's more so going to be based on who we've already drafted, not going out of our way to prioritize Jameis over guys like your Trevor Lawrence's, Zach Wilson's of the world if we already have their receivers. Alvin Kamara, RB6, if there's no suspension problems, but they're 
kind of looks like there will be suspension problems because of that we are out on him at the moment as a top 10 back. Mark Ingram, not someone you need to take, but at the very end of drafts, there are worse starts considering the potential for the aforementioned suspension. You talked me into moving Michael Thomas up just a little bit thanks to that sweet, sweet target share he's exhibited over the years. Firmly on the wide receiver three radar with the chance to get immediately into the wide receiver two conversation once we get more clarification on that ankle. We both love Chris Olave right now going as an upside wide receiver four and we are ahead of consensus accordingly and mostly out on the Taysom Hill experience. But, you know, if you're entering 100 best ball tournaments in the summer, I guess that it's okay to maybe use one or two of them on Taysom. But for you out there, you know, in your one team redraft league with a bunch of friends, for the love of God, please don't draft Taysom Hill. <laughs> Sounds about right, Dwayne. That sounds exactly right. That last caveat, especially. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, we have now wrapped up the Bucks and the Saints. We'll be back with Falcons and Panthers by the end of this week. Dwayne, we are recording this on Monday. Sounds about right. I don't know. I lose track sometimes. So this will be out Tuesday. I believe your top 150 is out on Wednesday. Yes, the top 150 will be hitting on Wednesday. Um, so obviously I've got the running back tiers. Uh, revamped came out last week the week before was wide receiver um, the tight ends have been redone so I need to I need to hit quarterback tiers again here pretty soon um, but this this week focusing on the top 150 I got a couple of other ideas that I'm thinking through uh, I might throw you know one more article out there that's more kind of on the researching a couple of different things but I'm trying to figure out what I'm going to do with that but for sure the top 150 will hit Make sure you check that out at Dwayne McFarlane on Twitter. I continue to push out these team previews and cover the USFL, which, hey, if you don't like, that's fine. But don't be like that freaking loser, Mike Florio, and go ahead and point out, oh my gosh, Stallions only beat the Breakers 10-9. to This league can't survive with scores like that. And then when the literal next game is 46-24, to you just shut your mouth and act like you never said anything. It's, that's it, Dwayne. Like, again, if you don't watch the league, great. Don't watch it. Don't pay attention to me talking about it. But the people that go out of their way to shit on it, I don't want to be around them. That's not my person. I hate the negative vibes. Get them away from me. So, with all that said, for Dwayne, I'm Ian. Thanks for those for tuning in to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. Until next time, take care, everybody.